And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, August 5th. Derek Van Riper here with Steven Nesbitt in for Keith Lock. Keith getting a much-deserved vacation after the draft and trade deadline were stacked on top of each other. Steven, thanks for stepping in. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I know we just wrote a good story, Zach Buchanan, about how difficult this draft reschedule into the month of July has made things for everyone in baseball ops but Keith Law, Zach Buchanan, Maria Torres uh, on our staff uh, it's made their lives a lot more hectic too so shout out to them Keith uh, glad you get a day off today happy to step in yeah, I hope everybody's finding a beach or something relaxing if they work on the baseball ops or prospect side of this business. So on today's episode, we're going to grade all 30 teams moves from the trade deadline window, giving you know A to F letter grades for each team. We're going to start at the top. We're going to give out the A's first. I had three teams that I felt were truly deserving of an A. There's probably a case for eight or nine different teams to get an A, depending on how you like to give out grades. I guess I'm a little stingy with the A's, which would make me a very unpopular teacher if I had gone down that path, Stephen. But I had the Nats, the Reds, and of course the Padres all getting A's, which it's hard to have two teams that hooked up on a huge deal both coming away with top grades. But I kind of felt like as much as you can get fair value for a player like Juan Soto, the Nationals actually did it. Does it make you feel a little icky that two of your three teams are sellers? You're like, yeah, I'm giving out A's to the, te- the teams who are not actually actively trying in 2022. I hate that because it's just one of those gross things about baseball that I want to see fixed. But I also know that the best way to fix it is to probably get players to free agency quicker. And I know that the owners are not going to concede on that, at least in a big way. Maybe, you know, an extra year of arbitration or something like that. But that's still not going to move the needle as far as getting 20 teams every year, 25 teams every year to play for the current season. I think the league would be better if it did that. But I think the important thing to keep in mind is if you are not going to win this year and you're probably not going to win next year, you do need to commit to that longer term future. And I think both the Nationals and the Reds appropriately recognize that with the core talent they had in place. And they've done really a good job making sure that their future actually has a chance of being a competitive one. Whereas if they just stayed and tried to ride it out, tried to grind their way into the playoffs, this is more Reds than Nationals, I guess, in this case. What was the best case scenario for the 2022 Reds if they hadn't made all the moves going back to even the pre-lockout times, like make the playoffs and get burned by the Dodgers or the Padres or the Mets or the Braves like that was probably as good as it was going to get so I guess they accepted that reality a lot faster than I did yeah I think we're we're all as baseball fans kind of predisposed to not liking it when teams stand pat whether they're buyers or sellers at the deadline you're going to see in our in our grades I'm sure that reflected where there are teams who had an opportunity to 
to uh, go all in buying, go all in selling and, and didn't do it. And I think it's a missed opportunity in a big way when you see some of the returns for some of these guys. But there were opportunities elsewhere for, for teams, even not at this deadline, maybe before. Uh, let's, let's grab a guy like Brian Reynolds. The Pirates have still not traded him. You could agree with that. You could disagree with that. But as time goes on, uh, the less opportunity there is to get max value for a guy like that. Whit Merrifield could have been traded two years ago for significantly more than he was uh, this time around to the Blue Jays. Um, but yeah, as, as far as what your A group looks like, I would toss one more team in there. I would say the Mariners go in there for me. And you could argue for several teams that are down in the the, the probably B range for us. Um, the Yankees, I felt a lot better about what they did before they traded Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. You can make an argument for them. The Twins, the the Astros did some good stuff. But the A group, I wanted to add the Mariners on my side because I thought they were, while they didn't go get that big bat, I never considered them true players for, for Juan Soto. Um, I thought they did what it took to make them significantly better this year, getting Luis Castillo and also significantly better for next year. It felt like they kind of punched their tickets to the playoffs, even though nothing is actually done at this point. They saw an opportunity to make themselves a true playoff team and, and be really a force in the playoffs if things turn right in their lineup. They have the rotation right now to do it, and they, they bought themselves, I think, a little more room for error on the margins with some of these young pitchers. So I loved what the, the Mariners did. They get an A, a, uh, a, a, a minus maybe from me. Yeah, so I went to the University of Wisconsin. Instead of doing minuses and pluses, they just combined the grades for the space between. So if you were between an A and a B, it was an A slash B. Oh. I thought that was kind of an interesting way to go. So you get like a three and a half instead of a four or a three. That's a good way to grade it too. So at that least is, an like A, that. B there, team. There are a couple, I think a couple teams we'll have here that were right on the cusp where um, whether it's A to B or B to C or you know D to F, we had some teams on the margins. Yeah, unfortunately, a few teams did check in with those really low grades. Think about the Mariners. Their offense has been better than expected because Julio Rodriguez has been amazing. I think the timing of his injury may have kept them from realizing the need to add one more bat. But even even if we just say he's going to come back healthy in a couple of weeks and they're going to be on track to be a playoff team, they do have a playoff caliber offense by WRC+. They are currently entering play on Thursday, tied for ninth in Team WRC+, at 106. Every team ahead of them, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Blue Jays, the Astros, the Mets, the Twins, the Cardinals, and the Braves, those are all playoff teams. So that's just, you know, you, you want to be in that group. Even if you're not elite of the elite offensively, they're at least in the conversation. And I do think the playoff rotation, now that you put Luis Castillo in there, that plays up with the other top contenders around the league as well. Yeah, I'm thinking about what the, what the, the Red Sox did last year. Of course, they have not been who we thought they were going to be this year, but they got themselves into the conversation in the playoffs and had a lineup that could push them through the first round, you know, into some territory. They, they took the Astros a lot farther than, you know, any of us really expected they would. They were a dangerous team, haven't had it this year, but there are teams, I think, and the Mariners are one of them that put themselves in position now this year to, to, to be someone like that, to be able to make some noise in the playoffs uh, because you don't make noise in the playoffs if you're not in them. And they needed to, to make an upgrade in the rotation with all those young arms. You don't know who's going to need to take a breather, who needs going to have a, a minimizing of uh, of innings down the stretch. Of course, injuries can can play a part. So Castillo's a he's a one of the one of the, the horses left in the game 
who will give you seven plus innings every time out. And I think is a, I think it was a great ad for them. And it, it did take them almost immediately out of the Soto sweepstakes, but I didn't think they were going to be the team that was going to give up everything to do it. They gave up two top, uh, Keith Law just had them top, uh, Marte, Noelle Marte was a top uh, 12, I think he was, on Keith's latest midseason ranking. And then um, Arroyo was a, an honorable mention, top 60. So that's two big names that would have been the centerpiece of, of a, a Soto trade. And they decided to do it for a pitcher who is controllable as well. And I think the Reds, I mean, it wasn't just trading Luis Castillo. They traded Tyler Malley to the Twins. They traded Brandon Drury to the Padres. They flipped Tyler Naquin to the Mets. They traded Tommy Pham to the Red Sox. You start looking at players they've drafted recently, players they've signed at international free agency. They are loaded with infield prospects. Ellie De La Cruz, a guy they already had, joined by Edwin Arroyo and Noel V. Marte, gives them three potential impact players that might only be two years away from contributing at the big league level. So you can kind of look at 2024 and start to get excited about the Reds again. 2023 might be kind of gross, but at least now that you see something off in the distance that gives you that glimmer of hope, you're excited. It's not just those three guys. I mean, Matt McClain, who they drafted, they got Christian Encarnacion Strand back as part of the the Mali trade. Cam Collier, one of the best Uh, I guess, bargains, you'd say, in the first round of the draft, just based on some of the projections of where they expected him to go and him being available at 18th overall. I I just I love how things are coming into place for this team. Yeah, I think you you hear people across the game say you can never have enough players up the middle, catchers, shortstop, center field. They're going to test that a little bit here. (laughs) They have uh, so much talent up the middle, especially in the infield, but it's something you figure out if someone shifts a second to third base to right field. Um, all that is v- way more doable than the other way around. And um, so, yeah, that's one of those selling teams that you feel pretty good giving them an, an A because, look, you committed to what you were doing to the detriment of your fans, your franchise, telling them, you know, who else are you going to go root for? Uh, you made it very clear what they they were doing this offseason. They had only a couple of um, valuable pieces left, and they managed to turn them into to prospects that I think pretty much across the – the the prospect guru list they were well regarded so the the reds took a big step forward it, it seems and um it'll be a, a little while till they're a winning ball club but you like the young talent they already have on the roster the the tyler stevensons the jonathan indias um so it'll be a little a little while but uh but had to, had to like the moves they made Let's talk about the Padres for a moment. The opportunity to land a player like Juan Soto comes around, you know, like once a century in a trade. So uh, if you get that opportunity and you have the the players on your on your roster that will actually entice a team to make that trade with you, you do it 10 times out of 10. Nothing but respect for A.J. Preller taking this all in sort of approach. And I I love that he also got Josh Bell in the deal because Josh Bell is more than just a throw in player. Josh Bell is a good offensive player who ends up being an upgrade over Luke Voigt at first base. And then they go out and get Brandon Drury in a separate trade. And then the Josh Hader trade, which became old news about as fast as trading for an elite reliever can become old news, makes them better in the bullpen. So I don't really see any flaws in this roster. I think they can go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers in October, even if they can't make up the ground in the NL West. They do play 12 more times before the end of the regular season, so they'll have a chance to, to close down that gap. I think they're actually built for October now, 
And previously, they were a little bit closer to one of those teams that could get there and then would struggle on the biggest stage because they didn't quite have that star power to put them over the top, especially with Tatis hurt. If Tatis comes back healthy, this is just absurd. I just wonder if maybe we're almost taking the return of a healthy Tatis for granted at this point. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, that that can't be taken for granted uh, until he proves that he can stay on the field consistently. He could run into a wall his first game back and, and we're back in the same situation. I think sort of what AJ Preller did here was provide a little bit of insurance uh, in case that does happen, uh, where a realistic way for this whole trade deadline to turn out even getting Juan Soto was you just get Juan Soto and that's your move. We spent so much in prospect capital uh, that we and and had to find a way to, to dump some salary along the way that we just couldn't couldn't uh, reasonably expect to do any more than that. Well, then what happens if Tatis doesn't come back or even so your your big three is still Tatis Machado and uh, and Soto. That's great. But look what's around them. Look, uh, you know, you've, you've had a good story in Jerks and Profar this year. Eric Hosmer had fallen off in a big way uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, Jake Cronenworth is a, a good second baseman, all-star caliber, but uh, nothing nothing truly that special. That's not a team I'm betting on in the postseason. But I have I have to just wonder, and, and hopefully Dennis Lynn will get the story eventually, how did Josh Bell get thrown into that conversation? At what point did, did he enter, enter the chat, as it were? Because mm-hmm. the conversation starts with Juan Soto. What's it going to take to get Juan Soto? And at what point does A.J. Preller say, listen, I'll give you the whole package. I'll give you everybody you're asking for, but you're going to have to throw in Josh Bell. And if you do that at the start of the conversation, you might get a no because, look, we'll just package Bell over here and we'll get some, you know, uh, a couple of prospects for him to the Mets or whatever it, it is. Uh, but if you get to a point where both sides are invested, they want to get this Soto deal done because Washington clearly felt that this was the move, a move they needed to make now, not something they should hang on to him for a couple of months. And then you say, okay, listen, we're close. We are seeing basically eye to eye. If you throw Josh Bell in there, we'll give you the extra prospect, whatever you're looking for. Um, and we've got ourselves a deal as long as we figure out which first, which uh, major league first baseman we're sending your way. Um, sorry, Luke Voigt, loser, <laughs> loser in all of this. So I think it was a savvy move uh, to do that. And again, if you're, while we're at it, why don't we address the closer situation, which they just two days earlier gone to a closer by committee with Rogers uh, really struggling of late. And you get Josh Hader, uh, an absolute weapon on the bullpen. And uh, and then you, you pick up Brandon Drury. He goes ahead and hits a grand slam in his first game. So they didn't just address their biggest need. They addressed basically all of them. And you can you know quibble about their the bottom three in their order, but that's a pretty good problem to be having at this point with, with Fernando Tatis coming back uh, shortly. Yeah, and even if Tatis is 80% of the player he's been previously when on the field, that's still probably good enough given all the moves that Preller made at this deadline. As far as the Nationals, their long-term outlook, this is a team that has really struggled to develop pitching. They've been willing to spend on it in free agency. They've been willing to trade prospects when their window was open. I think they had the good fortune of 1-1 picks when they were no-brainer 1-1 picks back when they got Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg, but... Someone in the organization deserves credit for finding and signing Juan Soto international free agency. That's a that's a skill that you recognize the superstar and and brought him into the organization. So they they do some things right. They're going to go through an ownership change probably between now and the next time they're good. That seems like it's on the table for some time in the next few months. I look at this organization now in obviously the return from the trade, having Robert Hassel and James Wood, plus Harleen Susana, who seems like the important 
extra prospect they got in order to send Josh Bell back to San Diego, just reading yep. some of the stories about it. Yep. That gives them a, another arm in their system who could shoot up prospect rankings as he advances. If the stuff is as good two years from now as it is right now and the command comes together and he holds up as a starter, he could be an impact guy. Brady House, who they recently drafted, Elijah Green, their first rounder this year. You can start to see this not quite on the same level as Cincinnati in terms of depth, but they do have the upper end impact prospects that you're looking for. And I think given the struggle to develop pitching, I'm glad for their sake that they push so hard toward position players for the most part. And then, of course, got Mackenzie Gore as a big league ready starter, even if he's not the star people expect him to be back when he was drafted. He did a lot prior to getting hurt this year that convinced us that he's at least a good mid rotation big league starter. Yeah, absolutely. Gore is, Gore is someone who felt like he was a little written off before the season and finally got his opportunity and, and was uh, pr- electric at times. Definitely exciting and showed a pretty bright future. And, and uh, I mean, what does this deal look like if Gore hadn't taken that step forward again, right? Is, is that someone who's actually coveted by the Nationals? But he showed what he had. They wanted him. And this deal absolutely in my mind accelerates where the nationals are not only from a prospect standpoint but from a franchise standpoint right but i don't think you're hearing quite as much noise about trading the franchise cornerstone here as you would have basically any other franchise at this point because of there's in such a bad place coming off this world series a few years ago that uh, they aren't on the way up they're still on the way down at this point you know they're still on, on, on the way to gutting this team and so if you trade him now, I mean, this, this, how, how much time does this lop off of what your expected return to contention is? Is it one year? Is it two years? It might be two years. I mean, that's a big thing in this day and age with a making your money back. If you're looking at, uh, if you're looking at a new ownership group, uh, and you're, if you handed them the keys two weeks ago and said, Hey, listen, you got to d- make a decision here. Uh, we just won a world series three years ago. Uh, can we get back there quick uh, with our su- superstar cornerstone still under contract for the rest of uh, his career? Didn't his brother also signed with the nationals? Like this is our story. We got to stick to it. But instead they say, okay, we're going to make this kind of crazy move because he seems like he's not going to be in it beyond the next two years. Uh, he's not going to sign long-term and this is our opportunity. And they struck. They did. You know, they got, I think, squeezed everything they possibly could out of it. Is it enough? It's Juan Soto. So we can't say if it's enough until the next uh, probably eight years play out. Um, but in the in the near term, it looks like it got them a whole lot better real quickly. And we'll just wait for Keith Law's top 10 Padres, uh, sorry, top 10 Nationals ranking to drop so we can compare it this year to next. Um, it'll be, it'll look a whole lot different, a whole lot better. I imagine when those organizational rankings come out, you're talking about the Nationals as an easy top 10 system, and I think they were closer to a bottom five system prior to making this trade. So as much as you can get value for a superstar like Soto, again, I think the Nationals actually did a good job. That's why they made it the A group here. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. 
is as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Let's move on to the teams that I put uh, B grades on. The Yankees, the Twins, the Astros, the Phillies, and the Braves. I had the Mariners in that group. You bumped them to an A. I'm going to side with you and give them a nudge into the A group. So out of those B teams, do you feel like those are appropriate grades? Do you feel like any of those other teams strongly deserve better or, or worse than what I gave them? I don't have strong disagreement. There is one more ad I had, and, and I'm the son of a school teacher, so I may just be grading on too hard of a curve here. Um, <laughs> a lot of Bs and Cs. I I would also throw the Orioles in there. And it's not a team that's in really the same situation in a lot of these. It's not a team that's a contender that made themselves considerably better because they didn't. It's a team that stuck to their guns. And it was forsaking sentimentality. It was throwing aside what Trey Mancini... Jorge Lopez mean to this organization. It was saying, look, we are on this terribly long, uh, you know, burdensome rebuild. Uh, we finally have a little bit of wind on our backs, a little uh, a little energy in the fan base. And we are going to kind of say, sorry, everybody, we, we have a plan in place and we're going to keep going with it. Lopez can get us four prospects, I think it was, four pitching prospects from, from the Twins, uh, Trey Mancini will get us, uh, I think, probably a little bit of an underrated prospect in, in Seth Johnson. Um, and then they were also, uh, Chase McDermott was another one they they added. It was not a probably a real popular decision. They could have kept Trey Mancini. They could have tried to be a 500 team this year. They could have tried to beat the Red Sox for fourth place. Um, but I think that for what they're trying to do, I think that's a team that actually did pretty well. And I think that's the thing you got to keep in mind when you look at every team at the deadline. Sometimes it's better to not just make a move for the sake of making a move. The Orioles took care of the business they should have taken care of. I thought it made all the sense in the world to flip Lopez given that return. It sounds like they're really high on Cade Povich, who they got back from the Twins in that deal. And I think the thing you want to think about if you're an Orioles fan, this is in front office that was built from members of the Astros front office. And if you look at some of the things they've done on the pitching side this year, some of the success stories they've had, the step forward from Tyler Wells, you know, Dean Kramer looking like at least kind of a useful back-end starter, Austin Voth just coming over from the Nationals and being more effective, the bullpen success of Dylan Tate, um, obviously Lopez himself. Getting Lopez right was a development win. Keegan Aiken has pitched well to the bullpen. It looks like you're an organization that can fix pitchers a little bit. And you can take guys that are maybe 40-grade players right now and make them useful bullpen arms or get guys to play up a little bit. And that's similar to what the Astros have done for a long time. So compared to a team like Oakland, and Oakland certainly favors quantity over quality, I think, in trades right now, I would just have more confidence, if I'm an Orioles fan, that the player development people in place are actually going to get as much as they possibly can out of players. And I don't know if I can say that about Oakland right now. Yeah, good reputation to have that you can take good pitchers and make them great or even decent, you know, quad A pitchers and make them major leaguers. They It looked like that's what they did with Lopez, who was had just horrible numbers as a starter. And in one year, less than a year, they turn him into a closer that can get you 
uh, four decent to good prospects back, and then you have Bautista right behind him, Felix Bautista, mm-hmm. who's ready to be your next closer. You know, they're all set, not in the same way that the Brewers were all set with having Devin Williams ready to take the the mantle from from Josh Hader. But it, again, a team that's farther away, um, they they stuck to their stuck to their guns, and and uh, uh, you know probably you could. B range for me. I'm I'm gonna stick them in the B's, but I understand that they aren't really they don't really fit in with that group. That group is more uh, a group of contenders that meaningfully added to their team without going for the superstar ad. Yeah, the Twins. I think that, that's exactly how I would describe them. They got starting pitching for this year and for next year. Tyler Malley, nice addition. You get him out of Great American Ballpark. The home run rate probably comes down. He might be a little bit underrated in some circles. He's a lot like Sonny Gray who they also acquired from the Reds previously. But I think getting high-quality innings from that rotation was important. Fortifying the bullpen, too. That was something that I think the Twins really needed to do. Adding Lopez does that. Adding Michael Fulmer from the Tigers also does that. So I think they're a lot better where they need to be. And I think the best part about this, too, being a smaller market team, being a team that doesn't run a big payroll, I wondered if the Twins would have to trade some of their major league caliber young players, you know, uh, Trevor Larnack, Alex Kirilov, um, you know, maybe maybe some of the higher end, Royce Lewis, who's hurt right now, some of those higher end players that are legit, like ready. And they didn't. They kept all of those guys. So all in all, I think this is a pretty successful deadline for them, just kind of given the the overall lean of the organization. They do have a lot of players on the IL right now. So we'll see if they can get healthy and hold on to that AL Central lead. I thought the Yankees were having a great deadline until they made one last move right before everything stopped. They traded away Jordan Montgomery and they got back Harrison Bader. I don't even mind the trade from like a pure value perspective. Yeah. I just think it put the Yankees in this kind of compromising position. If they lose starters to an injury now, they are in big trouble compared to where they were previously. They traded some of their starting pitching depth away in these trades. I mean, part of the cost of going out to get Frankie Montas was sending back Waldachuk and J.P. Sears. And Sears especially was the kind of up and down guy that they ordinarily would use to bridge the gap from early August to October. And then he could either go to the bullpen or not be on the roster at all. So I just think about like the shoulder injury for Montas that might have lessened the amount that the A's got back in the return. Tyon being a guy that's had major injuries. Domingo Herman having shoulder issues recently. Luis Severino being on the IL right now. He went to the 60-day IL. I think they're walking a little bit of a fine line here. I'd be a lot happier with their deadline if they hadn't made that last deal with the Cardinals. I think they're they're way more susceptible for things going wrong in the rotation at this point. And I don't, it doesn't feel like a move that that wins you uh, wins you um wins you a playoff series you know i don't think uh, the, the argument in favor of the move for the yankees is well jordan montgomery wasn't going to start you a playoff game probably well he could have helped in the bullpen or he could have helped through september when someone goes down listen jameson tyone hasn't thrown big innings in quite some time neither has uh luis severino and yes you got montas that was a great move and i felt like the rotation had a little bit bit of depth after that trade and it, it it's almost like the uh, the extra two hours they got from the 6 p.m. Eastern deadline uh, did them in a little bit. It didn't feel like that move had to be made. Uh, this is a team where in the offseason, you saw how good their offense was likely going to be, and Aaron Judge has single-handedly made it even better. But they said, okay, let's go get IKF to play shortstop. We're going to go more defensive-minded at catcher. And um, they have almost taken 
a couple of positions and said, we're not going to worry about being above league average at this position. And a move like Harrison Bader is furthering, further going in that direction, right? It's saying if we put him in center field to start or, or, or defensive replacement, whatever it is, we don't mind he's going to be a below average hitter. We think there's value elsewhere. And because of the lineup we have, we can take the fact that we don't have Gary Sanchez behind the plate. We don't have, you know, maybe uh, Gio Urshela is bad at shortstop or however you want to line things up. Um, so I get that that's the strategy, the approach they're kind of going with is that we have a good enough offense that we want to just shore up our defense in certain areas. But I don't think at that cost it made sense. At that price, we're giving up one of your, you know, solid starting pitchers um, was probably worth it. For the Cardinals, I think totally worth it. They they have, uh, they've been such a shuttle of starting pitchers with injuries and ineffectiveness and, and what have you that makes sense you have a, a glut of outfielders you had enough that you could have pulled off a juan soto trade if you if you cared to um but uh but yeah that move didn't make a lot of sense and i thought it was setting up for a it was the alley-oop to a to a slam dunk somewhere i thought it was trading for pablo lopez or one of these other starters on the market that they said oh we we have one too many starters we're gonna go get a defensive center fielder and then here's pablo lopez in the in the yankees rotation and, and that that next move just didn't happen and we kind of were left shrugging our shoulders at six o'clock yeah so i mean still a, a good deadline but just yeah. could have been a better one i think if they had avoided that move i'm interested to see if they're able to get more out of harrison bader's bat than the cardinals were maybe a fresh start and going to a more hitter friendly environment makes that a possibility once he's healthy for the yankees The Astros, I think, had pretty limited needs, but I think they addressed those needs. So they're one of those teams that didn't have to do a lot. They got Trey Mancini. I thought that was a great addition with Lance McCullers getting close to returning. They also flipped Jake Odorizzi. I thought it was important for Atlanta to get some innings because of Spencer Strider being such an important part of their rotation. Ian Anderson struggles just finding a glue guy. I think Odorizzi fits that perfectly, but Will Smith comes back to Houston. So they have one more good late inning high leverage reliever. So now you look at that bullpen, it's one better, it's Presley, it's Rafael Montero, it's Smith, it's Hector Neris, it's Ryan Stanek. Like that's a good five pitcher bullpen right there to get you through just about any scenario. Mancini is an upgrade for me over Yuli Gurriel. Yep. I know they made that trade to um, you know to give up Jose Siri, but they've got pretty good depth in center field and they're getting a lot out of that that cast that they've used to replace George Springer ever since letting him go in free agency. Yeah, so in this exercise of grading teams, I feel like the question, the basic question, the binary answer you're looking for is, do they address their needs? Yes or no? And there are teams that are sellers who don't care if they address their needs, and that's we can toss them out. So there are teams that did not address their needs at all, and we'll get to them in the lower letters. But among those that did address their needs, there are sort of like three buckets I look at. Either you did it with a superstar, where you're the Padres. You did it with the second, third, fourth best available player at that position. I think that's where the Astros sit. I think that's where uh, the Yankees kind of sit. I think that's where the Twins sit, as you just mentioned. And then there are the teams that are going to be, you addressed it technically, you but you didn't bring in anybody that was one of like on, on really like your wish list at any position and that's where we're going to get to a team I think like the Mets is where I land on what they did technically yeah you filled some so you you didn't do nothing and you addressed some positions of need but um, not with impact players and I think that's where 
sort of threading this needle that these teams are trying to do. And that's how you get into this range of having a solid deadline, a productive deadline. The Twins, Astros, Phillies, Braves, um, is that you were able to identify that maybe Josh Bell, for whatever reason, he's getting tossed in with Juan Soto, wasn't going to happen. Trey Mancini is available. Let's go get Trey Mancini. And we don't have to overpay for him, I don't think. Um, and Christian Vasquez available to make a, a pretty dire offensive catching situation uh, a bit better. And then the owner Rizzi for for Will Smith trade almost made too much sense. It was a perfect fit for what those two teams needed. And I think that's why you see an easy one for one flip there. I like I like what the Astros did a lot. And just to Atlanta's credit too, after trading away Will Smith, they go to the Angels, trade some of their young starting pitching depth. Tucker Davidson, who didn't really have a path to a lot of innings in Atlanta, goes to Anaheim where they need starting pitching desperately. And they get back Rysel Iglesias, who probably ends up not only making the bullpen better right now, he's probably their closer in 2023 because Kenley Jansen's there on a one-year deal. So I I just think Atlanta did a really good job not having pressing needs as well, addressing accordingly. And Robbie Grossman gets added in as a a depth outfielder. I know he's had a down year for the Tigers, but I've always liked him as a, a good fourth outfielder off the bench. He's hit lefties well for his whole career. He switch hits. He's not a particularly great defender, but just a good fit for them as a team that ended up, I think, turning to Guillermo Heredia a lot in those those depth outfielder spots last year. Yeah, and DVR, we should look back and see what kind of grades people were giving out to Alex Anthopoulos last year, because I feel like <laughs> for all the moves he made and all the credit he's gotten in hindsight, at the time you're adding uh, Jack Peterson, Eddie Rosario, Richard Rodriguez, uh, Adam Duvall, and Jorge Soler. Like I don't think. I don't think that was an A for me. I think those three tiers I just mentioned, I think that's more of a, you addressed it technically? Yes, it'd be more of a C. Like, well, you did something. You did something. You're trying to be a contender, but I don't think that's going to make a, a, a team that's two games under 500 into a playoff team, but shows what we know. Real quick, the Phillies, I think, were a team that surprised me because I thought they might have just been caught sitting on their hands and yeah. just kind of, oh, we're, we're that team or just not quite good enough to close the gap on the best teams in the NL and we're here we are yet again stuck in the middle but the trade that they made with the Angels has been my favorite trade they made two trades and the first one was Brandon Marsh going to Philadelphia straight up for Logan Ohapi the top catching prospect in the Phillies organization I like it for both sides because the Angels have had one too many outfielders for probably two years now. Yep. The Phillies needed a center fielder for that same amount of time. And the angels didn't have a catcher of the future. And Ohapi was blocked by GT rail Mudo in Philadelphia. Like this is one of those trades that just made sense for everyone. And I think it could open up a path for Brandon Marsh, to take a step forward offensively, at least going into a more hitter friendly environment, but also just working with some new coaches that might be able to get that strikeout rate down and possibly unlock some more of that power. We just mentioned Odorizzi and Smith as a one for one that made a lot of sense, but this that's dudes that like, the veteran stage of their career. We don't see it a whole lot with a guy who just just hit the majors in the last year or two and, and a, a pretty solid prospect, right? And I thought that trade was the was the young guy's equivalent of, of what we saw with, uh, with the Astros and, and the Braves because Marsh is a guy who we have not, I don't think we've seen the, the best he's gotten is bat. And I think anyone you ask around the game says, I, I think he's going to turn a corner at some point and the Angels didn't necessarily have the time to give them. Like I guess they, they have the time. They have the they they had enough uh, competition out there for at bats that they it wasn't like a position was his where he can just have a, a long long run. Um, he has the defensive uh, ability to make the the Phillies immediately better out there, and 
I think what Ohapi does is is fill a long-standing organizational need for the Angels. And if in the long run, if Marsh turns into a above-average major leaguer uh, in in Philadelphia, and Ohapi is their starting catcher for five years, fair, right? Yeah. I think that's that's what you're looking for in a trade like that. And it's almost just feels rare that a, a guy like Marsh has moved before a team has realized or or truly figured out, taking the time to figure out if he is going to be what they thought he was. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. So the C group, I gave out a lot of C's. I think I treated this the way I had, I took a psychology class my freshman year and it was graded on a bell curve. So no matter how you performed, you know, 10% of the class was going to get an A, 20% was going to get a B, 40% was going to get a C, 20% was going to get a D and 10% was going to fail. And I thought that was ridiculously unfair back then. I still don't like it now. What'd you get? Oh, I took a D in that class. I had mono. <laughs> I had mono my first semester of college. I missed like three weeks of psychology class. That was the wrong class to have first semester freshman year. If See, I was the kind of 18-year-old that thought I didn't have to talk to the advisors. I thought I could figure everything out for myself. <laughs> and I graduated in four years. Yay. But I think the advisors would have said, take the classes you know you're good at first. Start off on the right foot. Develop some confidence. Learn some good study habits before you get steamrolled by a class you're not prepared for. I was just ex- telling the story to my my dad and my my wife a little while ago. It was my first semester of college. I took a stats, you know, two hundred or whatever it was. Um, people said it was a good class to have. Basic had to take it at some point, I think. And so um, I, I had gotten almost a four point in high school. Loved school. Loved class. Did all, did. It's a good student. And I took that class and I felt like I'd, I'd just never seen math before. I loved math in high school. And it turns out it's not really math in the in the way that you're used to it. And uh, I, I I think I took a C in that class. It's the first time I've ever taken anything but an A or A minus. And uh, now I'm my wife is a she's a data scientist. She like stats is her is her game. <laughs> and then at work. I see what Eno does and I'm like, if I would have just taken maybe like three more of those classes, I would understand baseball in a way that would make me like an N of one like Eno is. I think N might be actually a stats thing. Um, but uh, that's like part of why Eno is so good at what he does is the is a statsy stats look. And uh, it's just, uh, it's different from those of us who are just perusing baseball reference, trying to make sense of everything in front of us. Um, so that's the class. If I could take it back and uh, not get a C in it, and that's the one. 
Yeah, if I could retake that psychology class, maybe second semester sophomore year, I think I would at least bumped up to a C. And that still would have been one of my worst grades ever in school. Same same kind of high school experience as you. It was shocking to do that poorly in a class. But yeah, if if you're going to have 30% take a D or an F, I mean, that's just uh, going to be tough. So the C group for me, I had the Rays, the Orioles, the Jays, the Red Sox, the Royals, the Angels. I think the Angels are more of a B team, the more I've thought about it. Um, the Athletics, the Dodgers, the Giants, the Brewers, the Rangers, and the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks are one of those teams that didn't really have much to do, so I don't, almost an incomplete there, so we don't have to really dig much into them. But of those teams that I've mentioned, any direction you want to go in terms of someone that you felt deserved either a higher grade or a lower grade because of what they did at this deadline? I have to remember where you have some of these teams. Okay, the Mets, you had them as a D, right? I had the Mets as a D. I have the Mets as a C. Because they did address with C is for me is just like fine, like you did you did address things. They're probably like the the on the cut line there between C and D, um, where it it's almost like I I want to give teams a little bit of credit for what they've done before the trade deadline, right? Mm-hmm. So you know take the Rangers. Should we say you didn't do anything, or should we say well in the last season you went and got and got Simeon and Seager? Um, so I almost want to give a little bit of credit that they're headed in the right direction. I don't actually remember where I put the the Rangers. I have a D on them, but the Mets is like well you got such a good team going. Same with the Yankees. You put together such a good team. You didn't make the really like you didn't make the splash move. Um, you didn't get the number one guy at those positions. You know, Yankees got Benintendi and Montas. Uh, but the Mets went kind of even lower on the list. And so I do have them as a, as a C. It's not like a an excited C. Um, but it's one that I feel like in the same way that the, the Braves small moves paid off last year, I feel like the, the Mets could be in that situation this year where the regulars are solid enough that maybe they didn't need to make huge moves. Yeah, because you can look at the Mets. You say, well, they're a top three offense by WRC plus right now and they're only knocking them as they don't have enough home runs two of the three guys they brought in Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelback bring a lot of their value hitting home runs so to put those Just guys big, kind of on the fringes boys. yeah Them like you, now you've got guys that you can kind of spot in when you need a big swing and you still have the consistency and the floor of that offense so uh, really like what what the Mets have already in place the reason I gave them a D I felt like they had to upgrade at catcher and they didn't and I think the Mets yeah. are just like, maybe this is a thing in, in in being a teacher where you have this kid that should be an A student and isn't, and you push them harder and you expect more from them. Well, I expect a team like the Mets to act like a big market team, but I do think the moves they made actually make them better and do a pretty good job of fixing their flaws. And I know Michael Givens had a rough debut for them. They didn't really need to go out and get the best of the best bullpen are. I know David Robertson going to Philly makes that bullpen a lot better. It would have been a nice luxury for the Mets to have. Had they done it, maybe they would have bumped up to a C for me. You know, the rotation, having DeGrom and Scherzer healthy right now. Bassett's pitched well. Walker's pitched well. Carrasco's actually still healthy. Peterson's still healthy. They can get Tyler McGill back. It is easy to start to look at this team and say, what exactly were they supposed to upgrade? Other than catcher, I think they didn't leave as much on the table as some people might lead us to believe. So one other team I want to ask you about is the Rays. I honestly, my first draft here, I dropped them in the D's. I just thought there was there's a lot of room for them to improve, and I know they're the Rays, so they're only gonna they're only gonna pull certain types of moves. But to add, what was it? Essentially, David Peralta and Jose Siri, right? Mm-hmm. I think that was their moves. Um, like they didn't do nothing, but I don't think that meaningfully improved their team. 
Yeah, I think Siri's a great defender in center field. And I think having lost Kevin Kiermeyer right, and yeah. Manuel Margot, maybe that was more of the priority because if they wanted to go offense in center field or at least offensive potential, they have Josh Lowe in the organization. And I know there's a lot of swing and miss there, but he could be, I don't think he's a bad defender in center either. So they could have gone that route, but clearly Siri was someone they, they sought out. That was a three-team trade that brought him in. David Peralta, I think, is just a, a very solid player. It's a very Raisian sort of pickup. I, I think you can look at this group of, of relievers and say, like, are they as good in the bullpen as we're used to? A lot of times it's a no-name bullpen, guys that give you a lot of different looks. Yep. I would have liked to see them make a move like that where they, they picked someone's pocket and added to that bullpen. They didn't do that. So I, I think you've got a, a case to to say that they're getting a D for this deadline because they – they could have been more active. I wonder how much the injury to Wander Franco has actually slowed down their interest in in pushing more chips in for this season. They've had a, a lot of injuries to hit them and not players you would consider impact players uh, for most teams, but a Harold Ramirez has been injured. Um, and he's kind of like their first baseman. The same with Yandy Diaz, both players that like, good contact hitters, not much for power, but they've made it work. And if they can put together a one through nine, now that Brandon Lau is back, low, Lau, whatever. I think you guys have this conversation every week. So um, <laughs> Every single week, yeah. <laughs> um, so they've been hit hard with injuries. I understand they might feel a lot better at full strength coming up, um, but it felt like there was opportunity for them to pick someone's pocket, make a move that tells you okay we're like we really are going to try to dance with the with the blue jays and with the yankees and it didn't feel like they did that for me um so i'm unimpressed but another in the c group that we both have in the c group is the the oakland a's and i think it's worth talking about them for a second because what they did at this deadline was adequate i think which is why they're squarely in in the c section if c section um if you were to look at all of what they've done over the last calendar year, I think you're going to talk about them more in, in the way that we're talking about, I guess, the Reds. Um, but if we stack up what they did versus the Reds, and by that I just mean trading everybody, um, I do like where the Reds are at better than and what they pulled out of all those trades more than what the um, what the A's did. I was curious to see if the A's could pull any of the Yankees' top prospects. They weren't able to for Frankie Montas, and maybe he just hasn't been quite good enough or quite healthy enough to be that caliber of pitcher, um, despite having, I think it's one more year um, under contract. So uh, the A's are doing what they have set out to do um, for the long haul. But I, I don't, I was surprised they didn't move on from uh, Loriano. And I guess they could have moved on from Murphy, but it, there, there must not just be that much of a market that, say, the Mets wanted to go get him. Um, but. Uh, but didn't didn't feel like the A's came away with quite the same haul that we're seeing from some of these other sellers over the last uh, six, eight, twelve months. What do you think about Boston sort of playing the middle? I mean, Christian Vasquez being traded to Houston, but bringing back in Tommy Pham, ending up getting Eric Hosmer, who because of the contract, I think, constantly gets a lot of scrutiny. Yep. He's at least a useful player, maybe an upgrade just based on how much they've struggled to get offensive production on the first base. And given the defensive problems that Franchi Cordero has had trying to play that position on the fly, I mean, you start to look at that as a team that played the middle. And because of some injured players, Rafael Devers is back now. Trevor Story will be back soon. Chris Sale might get back later. If they can just hang around, they could still be a pretty dangerous playoff team because the the roster at full strength 
is better than a lot of the other bubble teams. The problem for them has really been key injuries. Yeah, I, so I live up in the Boston area, and the vibe going into the week was they were ready to make some pretty significant moves. And as we got closer and closer, it just felt like, no, this is a franchise that's a little hesitant to rock the boat. And they've done it uh, in the past, of course. They traded Mookie Betts and, and David Price. But uh, this was a time where they wanted to make it clear pretty quickly that, okay, Xander Bogarts is not going anywhere. We're going to hold on to him. They're going to do what they can, I suppose, to extend him, to extend Raphael Devers. Um, but they had opportunities that they didn't take here. And I'm, we'd love to know what kind of offers they were getting for J.D. Martinez. Um, because what what they come away with, if you net this out, is not real impressive. It's Christian Vasquez for two prospects of, of I think, little acclaim. You add Tommy Pham, which it looked like was getting ready for moving J.D. Martinez, but it, it wasn't. The Hosmer move, I think, is totally fine. Yeah, if you want to platoon him with, with Bobby Dalbeck, um, great. I mean, you're basically having him for free. So go for it. He was going to go somewhere uh, in this trade deadline, and people were talking about Miami maybe being a good fit. But Boston works for me. I think that's a that's a nice landing spot for him. And they pick up uh, uh, the catcher, Reese McGuire, to sort of backfill for Vasquez. So I don't think they they did much to improve themselves short or long term, um, and they also didn't really take all opportunities to to trade and, and get better in the, on the prospect front. So I had them in the D range as kind of a subpar suboptimal deadline, but didn't harm themselves either by trading a, a Xander and taking a big swing. I guess. Yeah, I kind of wondered what they could have got for Nathan Evaldi if they traded yeah. him. I know the returns for players like JD Martinez tends to come out pretty light at the yeah. deadline, so. You start to think about the combination of moves, maybe not doing that much long term. Maybe that was part of why uh, High and Bloom decided to you know, stand pat and play the middle instead of, of selling off for the future. I thought there was a chance the Giants would be more aggressive sellers. I do like the trade that sent Darren Ruff uh, to the Mets because they got back a younger version of Ruff in J.D. Davis. Davis has not been as productive as Ruff has been the way the Giants used him over the last few years. But I believe with the hitting instructors they have in place, some of the underlying numbers we've seen in J.D. Davis's profile, that could end up being a sneaky good trade for San Francisco. Where I think they fell a little short for me is I thought Carlos Rodon made all the sense in the world to trade. I thought you could also uh, take a guy like Alex Cobb or Alex Wood and possibly trade those guys to teams looking for starters. And uh, they didn't do it. I think part of the issue with Rodon, of course, is he has the opt out at the end of the season. Yeah. If he were hurt, he would not opt out and then you'd be on right. the hook for that money in the future so maybe maybe the conversations they had led to some underwhelming potential returns what do you make of the giant deadline were they right to mostly stand still i had them in the d category and it's almost entirely because of of rodone because they weren't able to navigate that opt out opt-in that was the, basically their, their entire issue here was that teams are saying that's too much risk for us to take on because if he's a rental cool great well we have a price we can agree on for a rental but if he's a rental plus a potential injured all next season guy at full salary then i don't want that it's too much risk for me and if he pitches well um he's gone so i understand how they you can sort of see how that equation doesn't really balance out and they're not able to find uh, a middle ground on that um but when you see how, how attractive and hot this um, starting pitching market was 
the same reason I thought the Marlins were going to, were going to trade Pablo Lopez was boy, look what you can get back for this. And in the Marlins case, they want to get some major league ready guys. Um, the, the giants could have probably gone a little more on the prospect side. Um, but the difference is Lopez has a couple more years under contract and, and Rodon probably doesn't, um, unless it's an injury year. So effectively does not have any more years under contract, um, for how, you know, how helpful he'll be to your, to your roster. So, um, the Marlins, I understood them sitting pat, standing pat and keeping Lopez. Um, I, I think they did fine. I think I had them in the C range, um, basically doing nothing and uh, except actually, actually, actually adding, uh, Groshans from the from the Blue Jays, I thought was is a guy who was uh, a lot more heralded a year ago. And if that's a guy you can turn around, well, they they desperately need position player help, hitting help, lineup help, and they have the the pitchers to do it. And they traded um, Zach Pop and, and Anthony Bass uh, to do it. So Marlins did all right. And then back to the Giants. Um, really would have liked them to find a way to get Rodon, but they probably were hearing some really pretty creative offers for it because teams were so wary of that opt-out. I think that had a lot to do with why he ultimately didn't get moved. And I don't know, maybe if you're the Giants, you say, well, we can't move Rodon for future value. So why would we get rid of other guys? Let's just hang around to see if we can make the playoffs and catch lightning in a bottle at the end of the season. So I guess that probably was why they ultimately decided to go down that path. Uh, the Brewers, I, I'm going to give them a C. I don't feel great about it. I think yep. it's it's easy to be it's easy to understand why if you're in the clubhouse, you're disappointed because you did get worse on paper, but I don't think they got much worse on paper. I I mean, Josh Hader is better than Taylor Rogers. No doubt about that. The uh, extra salt in the wound for Brewers fans was that Denelson Lamette got DFA'd on Wednesday and it looked like, Oh, he's kind of part of this too. Like maybe maybe we'll make Denelson Lamette something. Turn him around. Yeah. Yeah. That was clearly about just balancing out salaries. We know that the Padres were trying to keep things as tight as possible with all the other moves they were making. And if you look at haters salary versus Rogers and Lamette, you can quickly see that the Brewers might've been able to buy a second prospect in that deal because they got a Ruiz and Robert Gosser. If they hadn't balanced out the money, maybe the trade doesn't happen at all, yeah. or they don't get both of those guys back, or they get two lesser players back. So they added to the bullpen with Matt Bush. They ended up making a small trade for Trevor Rosenthal. They're deeper in the bullpen, which they needed to be. They're a little bit worse at their apex, as I've described it. You know, the best case scenario is Hater over Rogers. They don't have that anymore. So they're a little worse in those circumstances. They're a little better in the long run, but you don't care about that as a first place team, right? This is the peak definition of trying to thread the needle, trying to have your cake and eat it too, trying to win now and get better later. And I just don't know if that's the right move because of some of the, I guess, the soft science impact that it has on your club when you deal this way. I didn't like the move when it when it went down. I understand why you do it. And it's more about Devin Williams maybe than it is about Josh Hader. You have the closer in the waiting and he's going to be here for a while. Great. And they did make other moves, right? They added Rosenthal. They added Matt Bush. They they added bullpen help, but as well as Rodgers, of course. But I think evening out the talent in your bullpen doesn't do you all that much good. You still have to figure out roles and, and figure out all that. And the, the big complaint we've heard, you know, through Ken Rosenthal's reporting and all is, hey, he's getting expensive and there's only one more year left on Hater before Hater hits free agency and he's going to make $16 million or something, which is a lot for a team like Milwaukee, I suppose. But the big complaint is that he only wants to pitch one inning at a time. And I understand that that's not ideal, but I think we can live with it for at least this playoff run. 
right? Mm-hmm. And if you want to make have that conversation in the offseason, give you some more time to make moves to make up for for losing a Josh Hader, um, that's fine, I think. But in the playoffs, I'm okay with Josh Hader just pitching one inning if that's what we need to do, or maybe we revisit that conversation with him come October. But to me, that being the driving force behind it, not really, I don't know, not really a, a justified reason to make this big of a move at this point in the season with a first place team. Did the Blue Jays miss an opportunity or are they the kind of team that had enough quality all over, similar to a team like the Mets, where you can't look at them and say they they failed. I mean, they could could have made their worst spot stronger. Uh, the Whit Merrifield trade was just surprising because of previously, at least, Whit Merrifield's unvaccinated status kept him from being able to play in Toronto. And it doesn't sound like they are able to work that out prior to making this trade, which is another strange twist. But they're such a well-constructed team. Adding bullpen depth seems appropriate. Yeah, same same camp maybe as the Mets were almost like the CD cut line of they addressed their needs but didn't do it in a way that, that moves the needle much. I think with Merrifield a couple of years ago, yeah, that moves the needle. Maybe they can use him strategically to really impact this lineup because they have they already have a little bit of everything in that lineup. And if you get a guy with that kind of plus speed, great. Maybe he can change some things. But, um, but uh, they didn't make... The significant move that maybe I I would anticipate them doing, and, and th- maybe that's one of the broader stories from this trade deadline, is we waited for the Dodgers to do something and waited for the Giants to make not a, not a buying move, but trade Rodon and get some big package back. We waited for the Yankees to uh, do something at the last minute, and and the move they made was not the one we expected, and 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 they got their their work done a little bit ahead of time with Benintendi and with with Montas. But uh, the Blue Jays were one that I thought there was a move in the bag somewhere, and and there just there just wasn't. And and think of, you know, what if that's the team that goes out and gets Josh Hader? You know, how, how does that change things? Um, Jordan Romano and Josh Hader at the end of the bullpen. If you can, if if uh, they're willing to be deployed kind of effectively, not just the ninth inning save role in the playoffs. I mean, that's that's devastating. And when you have a rotation that has some question marks in the way that Barrios has performed. Kikuchi, of course, has been, uh, has had a really rough season. If you only want guys going five innings a pop in the postseason, the better your, your, um, the better your bullpen can be, the deeper it is, the more, um, versatile it can be. Um, you know, that's, that's great. Cause I think their lineup's fine. They're, they're going to be one of the best lineups in baseball regardless. And, and so if I were going to make an extra move for them, it probably would have been, a higher impact reliever, although Bass and Pop are not not nothing. Yeah, sometimes the sixth, seventh inning guys too end up being a little underrated at the time of the trade, and you see later, oh, actually, yeah. we just haven't seen this guy pitch a lot because they're, you know a team like Miami maybe isn't on your you're high on your, v- your viewing priority list if you uh, are watching the entire league. It's understandable given the the state of that team. And I had the Marlins in the D group, and I don't even know if that's necessarily right because. They didn't have to do anything, right? If you have controllable pitching and you like the offers you get, great, you can move it. If you don't, just wait because everyone needs pitching later. So as long as you keep those guys healthy, you're going to be fine. I think that's the caveat that makes me think that maybe they missed the opportunity on Pablo Lopez only because of his injury history, not because of his skills. I would say the window might have been kind of wide open right now to move him. Now you run the risk of another arm injury, possibly putting him in a spot where teams are less interested if you want to try and trade him this winter. There's still going to be demand for these Marlins pitchers 
three months from now. So if you can't get a good deal, you know, and you're in Kim Ang's position, you don't have to make a trade just for the sake of making a trade. But I thought, I really thought Lopez was going to move. I didn't think it was just going to be a couple of bullpen arms. Yeah. The, the problem with what they have going on is their rotation has such upside and they, I think they're real hesitant, just like most teams would be from, uh, trading from a position of strength when that's starting pitching, because it's so valued. And Hey, what if two guys go down? You need someone gets Tommy John. He's out for a whole 18 months. You're going to need all those arms. So I understand wanting to keep guys while they're homegrown, while they're relatively affordable. Um, but look at your lineup. You have a lot of needs, a lot of needs there. And you're not a team that's going to spend in free agency to fill all those. And so you're getting the JJ Bula days coming up. You're getting some of those younger options, but they don't have enough in the farm as far as position players to go to, to make this team, um, you know, this lineup that much better this year and next year. So you're going to have to do that in some way, whether that's trade or free agency. And if I'm looking at this team, they're going to do it by a trade. And so this looked like an opportunity to get quite a lot for Pablo Lopez, who, yeah, injury injury risk is a real thing with him. What happens if, if he goes down in September or ends the season, uh, has a has a IL stint or something along the way? Is he really going to bring you any more in the offseason? I'm not sure that that's true. So I, I thought they were going to make the trade, and and uh, turns out they they decided it just wasn't worth it at this point. I think we're in a really fun stretch for the Marlins between now and opening day in that we're really going to see what Kem Ng wants to do with yeah. this roster because Gary Denbo's gone, Derek Jeter's gone, and I, I just think it's it's clearer than ever. This is her window to do as she sees fit. And I I don't know. I think any front office, I think sometimes we give GMs more credit and more blame than they deserve. There's more of a group effort around the league in these transactions, in these decision-making processes. But I just want to see how this roster might change between now and opening day, because I think we could see more change than usual uh, from the Marlins. I think I had the Cardinals initially in the D group. And the more I've thought about that Jordan Montgomery trade, I think they sort of salvaged their deadline in a pretty big way because He's good. Like, and getting out of Yankee Stadium, I think people are going to realize like there's a chance he's a top 40 starting pitcher league-wide. Um, he could end up being the best starter the Cardinals have sooner rather than later, which maybe that speaks to a bigger problem in St. Louis. And maybe that's part of the reason why I initially gave him a D because I thought Jordan Montgomery, yeah, good, good addition, but maybe you needed to get one more. Even after getting Jose Quintana, maybe you needed to still be the team that went to Miami and made the move now for Pablo Lopez. I thought that was a fantastic fit for St. Louis and it just didn't happen. Yeah. I had them in my, my C group as well. I, the Montgomery trade makes me feel quite a bit better where if you were to, to rewind a week and, and let's say you forget about Soto and say, what do you want the Cardinals to do? And you look at what they came out with. You say, that, that's fine. That they, they, they got a little bit of starting pitching help in, in Quintana in Montgomery. You know, they, they did all right. The, the, they're going to be pretty well set up to, to challenge the Brewers here in the, in the central. And that is probably the, the safer way to play things rather than going for the Soto, going for the Hail Mary. Um, and and uh, if your expectation was Soto, then I understand being being quite disappointed with this trade deadline. But um, I think they did all right, and they took from a surplus of outfielders and a guy who had so many question marks about his bat and Harrison Bader and turned him into Jordan Montgomery. I think that's a good trade for them, and that's there's a there's a reason they were targeting starting pitching because they've had such troubles filling out that rotation, keeping guys healthy. And hey, look, let's look at the future. Wainwright, we don't I don't think he's announces intentions for the future but uh he's not getting any younger so if he's not here next year 
you know, you've got a Montgomery there to take his place. I had six teams taking an F, all for varying reasons. But I had the Guardians, the White Sox, the Tigers, the Cubs, the Pirates, and the Rockies is all getting an F. And honestly, the Rockies, like, they're in a class of their own. If there was a lower <laughs> grade to give a team, like... <laughs> Like didn't, didn't show up to class. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you didn't even fail. Like you just, you didn't attend. Like you didn't even realize that you could make moves. I mean, their, their lack of activity and then, you know, good for Daniel Bard getting a two-year extension. Like that's great for him, but to know something's just wrong in Colorado, as far as the guardians go, why didn't this team do something to get better? They've got prospects for days. They could do anything they want on the trade front. I know they don't want to spend money in that ownership group, but my goodness, this is a surprisingly disappointing deadline for a team that honestly could have been players for anybody that was out there. I only had three Fs. and The rest were Ds that you just mentioned, but it was the Guardians, White Sox, and, and Rockies. No question to me. The Guardians and White Sox... You're in a gettable division, in a division where the Twins are are ahead but not comfortably, and they actually went out and did stuff. They actually went out and got some needs addressed and some potential impact players for this year and next year. And meanwhile, the Guardians and White Sox are just sitting on their hands. The White Sox, hey, I understand you've had a lot of injuries. Things haven't broken your way, but you have prospect capital. You have the financial resources to go get more, and they didn't. They did absolutely nothing except... Reese McGuire for Jake Diekman, right? I think that's their only move. Mm-hmm. And the Guardians sitting on their hands doesn't make sense for me either because, look, I understand you locked up um, Jose Ramirez long-term, and that's great, but that can't be the only thing you do this year. And you've had a, a better-than-expected year so far. I understand that the focus of the, the franchise may be elsewhere on the development and maybe not expecting this year to be the year. But, look, these starting pitchers that you have aren't getting any, um, aren't getting any younger. To, to borrow that term once more, um, you haven't traded them. You haven't signed any uh, any really any more extensions. Um, it just seems like they're a little bit directionless at a time when the roster is telling them, "Hey, look, you can believe in us a little bit. We we can give this a, a real go." Um, I'm just like pleading with you, don't don't waste more of Ramirez's prime here with not knowing exactly what direction you're going to take this because uh, there were ample opportunities for them to upgrade here and they didn't take really any of them except for well, a Sandy Leon trade, I think was the extent of, of what they did. So it doesn't make sense to me. I understand that the off season is, is there too. And you might not expect that this is your time to go for it. Asking price is too high. The cost to improve, not really worth the dollar amount you, you're giving up in, in, in value, but you know, you gotta, you gotta take some, some chances at some point here. And this seemed to be a team that was giving you some reasons to, to believe in them. Did the Pirates really miss an opportunity here? Because I look up and down the roster, and unless you were going to make the move and trade David Bednar, who's hurt right now, and give up multiple years of control and get a nice return back there or make the Brian Reynolds trade, which you don't have to make right now, I don't know who else on that roster is actually appealing to contending teams. I don't think they had much to move. Ben Gamble maybe as a fourth or fifth outfielder on a contender probably doesn't bring back much. For your organization so i put them in the f group but they should really be an incomplete because i don't i don't think they had much to do you could, you could say they get a c because they didn't do anything dumb that's the state of their rebuild right it's a point where you have young players where if you would like to make that big that big long-term decision move then yeah you move brian reynolds you could have done that last year you could have done that year the year before uh all depending on when you see your window opening or if you plan 
you think you're having substantive talk, substantive talks about extensions or something like that, right? Where you think he's going to be here into the back half of this decade. Um, they clearly have decided they're not really interested in shopping Brian Reynolds. They've made that clear the last couple of opportunities they've had in the offseason at the trade deadline. So I get it. That's If that's the way you're going to play this, then 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 great. He's part of your future with Brian Hayes, with O'Neill Cruz, with you know all these other guys they have coming up at this point. But they're quite a ways off still. And that's evidenced by the fact that you don't have many guys to trade at the deadline. It was Quintana. It was Chris Stratton. It was uh, Ben Gamble. And that was the guys they tried to trade. And Ben Gamble, there just wasn't enough of, a, of an offer for them to be worth it. It it's, reminds me of a couple of years ago, they had Corey Dickerson, who uh, had been injured a little bit, even kind of effective, pretty good actually for them. And they ended up trading him uh, for a player to be named later. And the player was never named later. And they just got salary paid for so it's one of those situations you couldn't got you probably could have got someone to take ben gamble you wouldn't got anything terribly valuable for him so um so they didn't and david bednar being injured is one thing he's also from pittsburgh i would not be surprised to see him sign an extension with them just because he's a he's a local guy who's who's found a a nice role there so um pirates i gave him a d but you're right there wasn't a whole lot they could have done barring a brian reynolds trade which i think they've decided they don't want to do Cubs probably deserve a little more than an F because they did trade some relievers. And I think they got some interesting players back. Hayden Wesneski comes back into the organization, a possible starter for them. They need more starting pitching. So I think that's that's fine. I think the reason many people are frustrated with them is that we were sure that Wilson Contreras was on the move. Not only us, Wilson Contreras was sure he was on the move. <laughs> he went through all of the rituals, got all the hugs in, was totally prepared, and then, no, no, two more months in Chicago, maybe more. Obviously, they can give him the qualifying offer and get a draft pick yeah. if he leaves. They could extend him. I actually don't think it's a bad idea if they extend Wilson Contreras. You, know, you, you do need some players there. That, they're not going into deep, deep rebuild mode. Their offseason was pretty weird when you think about it. They were the team that got Seiya Suzuki. They went in and got Marcus Stroman in free agency and added a bunch of, of short-term relievers to try and play the middle this year, and it didn't work out. And I just kind of think they they still lack identity, and I feel like if they let Wilson Contreras go in free agency, they're going to lock it even more for the foreseeable future. I'm not sure what the right way to play this was, but I know they didn't do it. <laughs> I know it's not <laughs> the right way to do it to have these two guys, one who's not even a, a rental, giving their farewells to... The home ballpark, the home crowd, the the teammates, and then to have nothing happen. Listen, you didn't need a trade to happen. You probably could have messaged that earlier to him that, look, look doesn't seem like anything's happening. You don't need to tip your cap to the crowd. <laughs> like, don't need to say all your goodbyes. Uh, we'll let you know if something happens. Um, and then with Contreras, I mean, I that's the F of this is I think you needed to, to get something back for him better than a draft pick. Um, if they have designs on extending him, Makes sense to me. I would be kind of surprised if he'd be willing to have that conversation now. Um, whether that's because of what happened at this deadline, if if that that relationship is harmed at all by the confusion, by the lack of communication that that happened there, um, or if just he wants to see what the market looks like, and if a plus hitting catcher hits the market, even if he has some defensive game calling deficiencies, he's going to get paid well somewhere. And I don't know if the Cubs want to do it, but they are kind of the at least look like they're on the upswing of that rebuild, the quick kind of turnaround rebuild they're doing. So yeah, grabbing that catcher uh, as kind of establishing him as the franchise cornerstone for this next core makes a lot of sense to me. So um, 
So that could work out because he's going to he's gonna be kind of hindered in free agency with this, with this qualifying offer. One more team to get to from this F group, the Tigers. And again, I don't think they had to go out and, and make the big move and trade Tarek Skubal right now. They can certainly find a market for him this offseason if they're willing to trade him. When you do the big rebuild and a lot of the prospects are either uh, early draft picks you spend on, on star pitchers coming out of college or you find someone like Scooble a little bit later coming off an injury and, and get that player to the big leagues and make him a very good starter. It's just risky if you don't have the position player core to go along with it. And that's been the knock on the Tigers. Riley Green's fantastic, by the way. I think if he'd been on the opening day roster, people would have a, a greater appreciation already developed for him as part of their core. I get it in the sense that if you don't get the offer you want for Scooble, you do nothing. But this is a team that probably should have moved some bullpen arms yep. between Gregory Soto, who's got several years of control left. That could have been a, a big trade piece for them. Joe Jimenez, who I believe is under control for one more year. And Andrew Chafin, who signed a two-year contract when he signed as a free agent. I'm surprised all three of those guys are still there in Detroit. Yeah, like we were saying with the Pirates, there isn't much to trade there as far as younger impact players that will give you a big return. But they have bullpen help there. They don't have a rotation to speak of. It's been pretty decimated by injury. And um, Tarek Skubal, despite the Ken Rosenthal's report that they're willing to, to hear offers on Tarek Skubal and quote everyone else, um, apparently they didn't have enough of those conversations because those bullpen arms could help, I think, around the league. And, and uh, Fulmer, they were able to kind of get him back on his feet after years of injury. Um but yeah, to not take advantage of the the rest of the arms they had in the bullpen and and find a prospect or two for them really surprised me. Um, and not sure what the intent was there, but Andrew Chafin, wasn't he brought in to be flipped at the deadline? I mean, it seemed like the, the easiest move to make there and he performed well um, and uh, they just didn't find that that opportunity. So not sure what they're trying to do there. These are not qualifying, qualifying offer caliber players. So that's not the reason, but... Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what's going on in Detroit at this point. Um, they're they're toward the back end of a rebuild, but these are the small moves you make to help sustain you as you finally get back toward a contending day. And unfortunately, I think there's gonna be a lot of changes in that front office coming up uh, in the near future. It just seems like it has not gone as planned. Injuries are a part of it, but that's certainly not the only part of it for the Tigers, and I would agree with you. Not a lot of position players, especially, that you could move to other teams right now. Even Jonathan Scope had another year on his contract. He's been the worst qualified offensive player in the league to this point in the season. A contending team doesn't want a player like that for the bench. So Robbie yeah. Grossman moved on, and that was pretty much it for the Tigers at this deadline. Even another guy to throw out there is Jamer Condelario. Felt like he was coming off a pretty nice year last year. This is a guy who's 28, 29 years old, I think and has just not been the same player this year. They, they haven't been able to keep producing these guys, and even when they bring in Javi Baez, he's been pretty brutal this year, a little better numbers of late, but um, yeah, it's it's a rough go there until you get Miguel Cabrera's numbers off the books, his contract off the books. Uh, probably don't have a whole lot of wiggle room there with the, the current ownership. I'm with you there. So, Steven, I think we set a record for uh, the Friday episode of the Athletic Baseball Show. I think this is the longest episode of the year. Let's it's right go. up there with the uh, the season preview I did with Nick Pollock uh, on opening day. So we're either first or second, at least as far as the Friday episodes go. Uh, thanks again for stepping in for Keith. Of course. Thank you for having me. 
Give Stephen a follow on Twitter at Stephen J. Nesbitt. That's Stephen with a PH, by the way. So give him a follow. Follow all his work on The Athletic. Check out theathletic.com slash baseball show if you'd like to get a subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months. For Stephen Nesbitt, I'm Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.